What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the COVID-19 from the Frontlines series, we are moving a little bit away from the medical frontlines and towards the stress management frontlines, which honestly is just as important on a much wider scale. And I am excited to share with you the insights from Jen Carter. Jen teaches yoga and meditation while also practicing the Hawaiian healing arts of Lomi Lomi. In her most previous past life, she was a scientist for the Smithsonian and spent 12 years conserving our world's coral reef. With her background in science, she makes the world of meditation, mindfulness, and yoga accessible to all, infusing her instruction with clarity and logic. In addition, she brings stress management to organizations with her business partner, Dr. Jess Norris. When not helping individuals and organizations feel better, she is also working toward bettering the world through the Humanization Project, an organization she co-founded with her partner, which seeks to humanize the lives of those of us behind bars in the eyes of the world, thus encouraging criminal justice reform guided by public understanding and compassion. In the end, though, to Jin, it is all yoga. I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like it is indeed still on the front lines, although not about medical treatment or advice, but the insights are so valuable, specifically even more so to the time we find ourselves in. So enjoy, and here's Jin. All right, COVID from the front lines, the stress management edition. I am thrilled to bring on Jen Carter. I have already been so inspired and enamored by her in just the few minutes that we started this conversation even before the recording. So I am more than thrilled to share her energy and vibrancy with you all today. Thank you so much for being here today, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to dive in. So before we start, let's go with the question of what does true wellness mean to you? Right. So I I knew you were going to ask this and I was thinking about it because I feel like it's it's a thing that's almost like always evolving. And so I feel like for me, true wellness really is about being in a place of flow in your life. So kind of like where you're trying to get to in meditation, where where things are, you know, working and you're feeling good, whatever that means. And um, yeah, everything's flowing and, and, and feeling free and uh, kind of easy, even if you're like working hard, but if it's something that you're enjoying, that there's that, that flow to it. Mm, I already, I already love that feeling. And I love starting the podcast off with that energy around us. So let's get into your background, which I find to be so interesting and a really like very interesting mix of scientist and healer. So let's kind of dig into that. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, I grew up feeling very much like that I wanted to save the planet. <laughs> that was in my head from a very early age in 
in the sense of conservation and being very focused on animals and the environment. That was always a passion of mine. And so I grew up and followed that path and became a scientist for the Smithsonian and specifically for the National Zoo. But I was stationed out in Hawaii and my boss and I at that time for about 11 years, we were the only two people in the whole world who were using human fertility techniques to conserve the world's coral reefs. So basically, just like you would if you um, needed to go to a fertility clinic as a human being, we were setting all that kind of stuff up, but for coral, and we were figuring it out. So the ability to freeze sperm and embryos has been around for mammals for a really long time. We were trying to figure out how to do that for coral, and we were successful in that. And so we worked, uh, just the two of us, for a very long time uh, with that, we were in Hawaii and then we would go other places in the world and basically put coral sperm into coral sperm banks so that it could be used in different places in the world. And at the time we started, we always said for, for an insurance policy for the future, but that by the time I left, it was something that needed to be used mm. um, already, which was kind of a depressing thing to watch happen. But over the course of that time, I was there for 12 years, a few different things happened. Um, one, I had this realization that all the science in the world can exist. And in fact, a lot of the science that we need to help with, a lot of the things that are going on with our planet already exists. But if people don't feel like, one, believing it, and two, implementing it, it just doesn't matter. Like, you can do all the science in like... <laughs> not to be harsh, but like, who cares, right? Like if nobody wants to, to use it, it just doesn't matter. Um, and so as I was having this realization, we were also struggling for funding, like quite profoundly so. And there was a period of time where we thought our lab was closing within about six months. And I was also having a personal realization that science wasn't really making me that happy. I wasn't feeling like I was in a flow. I was feeling sort of stressed and down about it all. And so when we thought our funding was running out at this one point, I got certified to teach yoga. I had been a gymnastics coach uh, earlier in my life and I had started doing yoga uh, with a really wonderful teacher. And so when it looked like science was falling apart, I thought, oh, one day in yoga class, I took a look at my teacher and was like, oh, maybe I could do this. And um, I invited her out to dinner to talk to her about it. And before I could ask the question, she just said, yes, I think you should be a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so I went down that path and got certified. And then we ended up getting funding again for the lab. So the lab didn't close. So at that point, I was doing both teaching yoga and um, science. I was just teaching a couple classes a week in the evenings. But I had a moment uh, just to really like sort of drive home the idea that all the science in the world doesn't matter if, if nobody wants to use it. And I, I tell this a lot, but I had a moment where I was invited to a Super Bowl party and I love football. Like I went to a football college and like I love football. Uh, don't get me wrong. But there was just this moment where I was watching the game and I was looking at the commercials and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, they're spending billions of dollars on one football game and we had just gotten denied like a maybe a five hundred thousand dollar grant that would have made our lab be able to run for about five years 
and we had just gotten denied that. And so I was watching this football game and just thinking like, what, what is wrong with this picture? Like we're trying to help basically help everyone breathe in 50 years and save the planet. And this is a football game. I like football, but don't see how these two things equate <laughs> in importance, right? Um, and so it really got me thinking about, you know, what really mattered. And at the same time, uh, my, my boyfriend at the time, my ex now, who's still one of my really good friends, uh, there was this day where I came home from teaching yoga or maybe teaching horseback riding lessons because I do that too. But from teaching, one of the things I was teaching, and he asked me how, how my day was, and I was telling him about all my students and all these things that happened. And he stopped me for a second, and he was like, you know, when you come home from the lab and I ask you how your day was, you're like, fine. And when you come home from teaching, you have to tell me about every student and everything they did and everything you said, and like, you're so excited and you're so much more happy. And he was like, you really think about, you know, what makes you happy and what you really want to do. And so that kind of set in motion this shift uh, in careers for me. But this whole thought about how the science doesn't matter if people don't, don't want to implement it, to me, fed over into teaching yoga and all of the other things that I do <laughs> nowadays that really are about helping people feel better in themselves because I think a huge part of trying to get people to make those better choices, to believe the science, to want to do the things that will help save the planet, part of that is, is if we can get feeling better in our individual selves, then we're more open to making those better choices for our family, for the people around us, for the whole world. And so that's kind of become my mission is to see that, you know, there's different ways that you can get at helping the world. And for me, one of the ways that I'm doing it now, it really is just to try to help as many people as I can on an individual basis feel better and really be less stressed. Because when we're stressed, we don't make great decisions. <laughs> it's really hard to do the things that we know that we ought to do. Hmm. I love this intertwining and interconnectedness of your journey. And, you know, at first I was thinking before I interviewed you about asking you know, how you feel the world of science and the world of yoga are interconnected. And you've, you've beautifully laid that out. And I feel like you've already answered that. And the way that you're approaching it now is to work on an individual basis to help us to think clearly, be less stressed and be able to realize the importance, prioritize things in our life and see, see things as they are, as you did during that football game. And really very fascinating. Um, I, I, this very fascinating story. I really, I appreciate the work that you do and your ability to, to tie all of this in to a much larger importance and cause. So really, really great stuff. Um, can you kind of explain to those, I mean, we could certainly dive into the, into the, um, you know, IVF coral world, which is, that's fascinating. And that could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but I'm not prepared for those questions because I don't know enough to even ask you, but um, <laughs> we will focus on the, on the newer part the, of your, of your, life yoga. Um, talk a little bit about, and this is, you know, a concept that maybe is newer to me in the last, you know, four or five years, how yoga, I feel like my misunderstanding of yoga, you know, years back was yoga is another exercise, you know, like it's yoga is like, you know, if I go do body pump, I can also go do yoga. Like it's another just form of group or individual exercise. But I have learned since then that yoga is 
is not that. It's just not just that. It's more of a lifestyle. It's more of a spiritual teaching. Can you kind of talk about that and how what your understanding of that is? Sure. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. And uh, the way that I teach yoga is very incorporative of all of that. Um, I want to say before we start talking about all of that other stuff, right? That the physical practice of yoga is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that if people are just doing physical yoga, like that's totally okay too. Um, and it's really interesting because so many people go into that through the physical avenue and then the whole entire thing can open up for you. Um, when I was in yoga teacher training <laughs> at that time, McDonald's was giving out yoga DVDs right? Like if you got a salad, right? You got a yoga DVD. And a couple of the other students in class, uh, in my yoga teacher training, they were just appalled, right? Like, oh, this isn't real yoga. They're giving it out at McDonald's. Like, this is, this is bad. And my teacher and I both said, you know, if one person gets that DVD and then they decide, oh, this is kind of cool. I should go to a yoga class. And then they come to a yoga class with one of us. And then we're able to teach them these other parts of the practice. Then that's great. You know, and even if they just do the physical practice, that even gets at one of my goals. Because even just physically, like, you know, if your knee hurts or your neck hurts and you need to walk like 50 yards to get to the recycle bin, but the trash bin is like right where you came out the door, like what choice are you going to make? Right. Mm -hmm. So even just the physical practice is important. Um, but I believe that the magic is in all the rest of it. Uh, and so um, there are eight limbs to the practice of yoga and the physical postures are at the third limb. So there's two limbs that come before that, uh, and then uh, all the limbs that come after. When I first learned that, I had just, you know, I'd started with physical yoga myself. And so I thought, when I heard that, I was like, wait, there was stuff I was supposed to be doing before this? What did I miss? You know? <laughs> um, but the first two limbs, I like to call them, they're called the yamas and the niyamas, but I like to call them how to treat the world and everyone in it, and then how to treat yourself. So they're kind of like, um, they're not like the Ten Commandments, but kind of like just principles to live by, right? Things like, above all else, be loving and kind, you know, always be honest, uh, things like that. And then there's the physical practice, and then there's breath work that matches up with the physical practice. And then the, the limbs that come after that are really all-encompassing uh, the practice of meditation, but can also be taken beyond just closed-eyed meditation and really be about how to deliberately create uh, the life that you want, how to set intention and how to, um, as I was saying at the beginning, how to get into a flow of, of what it is that makes the most sense for you. And so the practice is really, you know, a lot more than just the physical poses. And I love, I love all of it and I love teaching the stuff. Uh, I love teaching physical yoga, but I like teaching philosophy and meditation and all of that even more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that 
um, we are just using this platform to get that the word out because I think it's important for people to know that it's it's more than just you know a class like Zumba and other other classes. That, that at least that's what you know the limited knowledge I had was it was just another class on a gym's yeah. schedule. So I, I now know and appreciate that it is so much more and there's so much value to all of those limbs and uh, so so such a great just sort of overview and that's hilarious about McDonald's. I don't remember that time, but that's probably good because that probably means I had already transitioned into healthier eating. So I'm actually kind of glad I don't remember that at that time. Um, but that's kind of funny. That is kind of funny. Ladies came in and we were like, wait, how do you know this? Who goes to McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I'm, it's like, oh, I'm really glad I didn't know that. So I'm going to go with that. That's kind of funny. Oh, all right. Well, perfect transition from, um, you know, the, the concept of meditation. I kind of want to focus on, you know, a current state of the world and the pandemic while zooming out and realizing most of this is applicable also to our daily lives, pandemic or not. How do you feel meditation can benefit the individual during this time? And how might uh, someone listening without experience to meditation access the practice now? Sure, yeah. Uh, I believe that meditation and, and yoga in general, which is really all setting the stage for meditation, um, is so incredibly important right now. I There's been multiple periods in my life where things have been kind of crazy, and I've been so blessed in those periods to be able to drop into a meditation practice and actually been really blessed to um, be able to study with my teachers with meditation practice during those times I had, I think it was 2014, 15, where I knew I needed to stop my science job. I was exiting a relationship. I was having health problems. It was like all this stuff happening. And I was in the middle of uh, my second teacher training of 500 hour, which you do 200 and then you do 500. And I was so blessed to be in that space and kind of have to like, like have to really make sure I was in my meditation practice very purposefully. Uh, and then right now, thankfully, um, one of my teachers is also doing a class during this time. Actually, two of my teachers. I'm taking two classes right now. I'm so blessed um, to be able to just drop into practice when things are crazy. But, you know, if you've never practiced before, it's really interesting because I, I usually teach that it's really important to learn uh, mindfulness and meditation and yoga techniques when you're not stressed, so that when the stress comes up, you've got the techniques there. But you can jump into them and do them when life is stressful too. And certainly right now, you know, things are a bit stressful for folks. But I, one of the things that I love emphasizing for people is that it doesn't have to be something big and crazy. And it probably doesn't have to be what you're imagining. So meditation is not sitting and demanding your mind to be quiet. It also doesn't have to be sitting with your legs crossed in a funny position for four hours a day. Like, that just doesn't make sense for most of us. And it's also just not necessary. Um, two of the lineages of which I have studied, we believe almost the opposite, that, that you should be able to tap into techniques that allow you to get to the place where you're trying to get, which I always describe as flow, like we were talking about at the beginning of practice. It's not that your mind shuts off, it's that it gets calm. So it doesn't mean that it is doing nothing, it just means that it's 
common focused. And if you want it focused on something particular, then that's cool. If you want it just quiet, that's cool too. But um, it's really about calming down the big fluctuations. And so if you can tap into techniques that, that speak to you, hopefully you can get to that place really quickly. Like it shouldn't take you four hours or five hours of you know sitting on a mountain. Um, hopefully there's things that you can learn um, that can work for you in just a couple minutes you know, or at most 15, 20 minutes. Sitting for a longer time is great too, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so I also love to let people know that, you know, if you've tried to meditate before and you didn't like it or you didn't feel like it was, quote, working, there's a whole, all sorts of different ways to meditate and different techniques. And I almost think of them as like little hacks to like help you get to that place of flow or calm or stillness, whatever you want to think about it. Uh, and so there's little bitty things you can do like just in a few minutes um, that you can apply in your life. And yeah, there's all sorts of them. I, I know like one text that has like 120 some different ways of, of meditating. But I also like to let people know that the place that you're trying to get to isn't a far out there place that you've never been to before. Most of us have been to the place that you're trying to cultivate uh, at different points in our lives. And it is just exactly what we were saying in the beginning, this flow state. So those times where you're doing something and you're so engrossed in it that nothing else existed. My favorite example is always like a like a concert, I always think of a violinist, but a concert musician, like if he's there with his violin and has like no sheet music in front of him, as he just knows the music and his eyes are closed and he's playing, he's not thinking like, oh God, what did my wife say yesterday? That was horrible. Or what am I going to make the kids for dinner tonight? It's not thinking about any of those things, those usual things where our mind is fluctuating about and being, you know, crazy. He's there in that moment. And that's the kind of place that we're trying to get to. So there's all sorts of different things that we can do to get there. And some of them, they can just be, you know, a few minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes a day. And they can really make a huge difference in your life uh, if you just start to take those few minutes every day. I think it's so important, a lot of the things that you pointed out, because I know some of the things that held me back from diving into meditation were misconceptions and myths that I thought had to be true. So, you know, like you mentioned, I have to sit still for four hours and I have to, you know, be like what I see on TV or what I see in the documentaries. And that's just not accessible to me or not possible for in my life right now. And um, so I just didn't do it because it was that if it has to be like that, then I can't do it. And I also felt the same, like very type A, you know, like I was, you know, extremely, you know, the hustle mentality until I've, you know, in the last few years shifted, but you know, it was like, that's not me. You know, I I live down here on earth. If you want to live in the clouds, that's perfectly, but you know, like I had all these, you know, stories that I had told myself just not understanding. So I think it's so important to first just dispel those myths, which I think, you know, immediately opens the door to at least curiosity. So for those listening who had already believed those myths or similar myths, hopefully the door is open to, okay, well, if those aren't true, then maybe this is accessible to me and something that I can do. So I always love when we kind of touch on those types of things, because I I know where I was and I I would assume that Mm -hmm. at least a few listeners are are in that place where like, oh, well, this isn't for me. So, you know, the door's already closed. So 
Yeah. yeah, super valuable. What would you say? I know you mentioned that there are um, several techniques. Um, I know there's also several apps, um, you know, and I know that you, you know, there's guided meditations, there's transcendental, there's, you know, just breath work. Um, what would you say to somebody who's just starting who doesn't know where to start as far as meditation um, goes? Do you, do you have some uh, preferred methods that work well for beginners, or is it really just sort of trial and error and um, finding what works for each individual? Yeah, I'm always, I always kind of feel a little bad when people ask me things like that because my answer is always it depends. Mm -hmm. um, I, in my practice, in my teaching, I almost always exclusively teach privately, whether that's private individuals or groups. But I teach that way because I do feel like it's a very individual experience. And so what one person needs in meditation or yoga in general um, is very different from what another person needs. And so, you know, you can start with something as simple as just closing your eyes and following your breath in and out and follow it for just pick a goal, three breaths, even five breaths, 10 breaths. That's always accessible. The breath is always there. For a lot of people, that can be just boring, or oftentimes, if especially if you're like me, uh, and I imagine maybe like you just from hearing hearing what you're saying, to me that's like too easy, and my mind can be like, I'm still following the breath, but I'm going to think about all the other things too mm -hmm. because because I can do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there's other techniques you can do where you actually give your mind more specific tasks. Um, I have a few meditations that I particularly love. Uh, one is to, uh, I'll just describe it because I think it's very easy to do on your own. But one is to just think of a word that has to do with an emotion that you would like to cultivate in your life. So if you're feeling really yucky and you're trying to change that, you might pick a kind of neutral word like calm or ease or peace or something like that. And just close your eyes and every time you inhale, say that word to yourself. Every time you exhale, just kind of exhale it out in your mind. And say the word with the emotion behind the word and see how that can kind of shift how you're feeling. If you're feeling decent, you can even pick like a more like lofty word, like joy or exuberance or something crazy. But that's a really great one. And that one uh, made a huge difference for me in my life when I learned it because it was like this realization of like, oh, I can deliberately shift how I feel, like very deliberately, right? I pick pick a emotion and then try to like, you know, get that emotion within myself. And just by repeating the word, kind of like you're an actress or an actor, like you're just saying the word with the emotion, it starts to create that emotion within you. And then you could kind of let that go and just be there with your breath. Another one I like to do with people, especially if you have a really, like a really, really good mind that wants to think all the thoughts, because <laughs> that's really what a mind's purpose is, right? It's it's trying to be helpful when it's, <laughs> when it's going, right? Um, if you have a really good mind that's thinking lots of thoughts, one of the things I like to do with um, with folks, I call it the Peter Pan meditation. So you think of like a happy thought, like a happy moment from your life, and just think of all the details that you can think of, like who was there, what it smelled like, tasted like, looked like, all of these, like just get into all these details. And then once you've built the picture, usually you'll start kind of feeling like you felt when when that moment happened and then you can also kind of let that go so they're kind of like these little tricks to get you to that place of 
of feeling um, easeful or good or in the flow with your meditation. But there's all sorts of things like that. Um, mantra meditation can be cool. Uh, Sanskrit mantras are particularly powerful. They actually have the power of the vibration of the of the words in them. But you can use a a uh, English mantra too. You know, if you want to, you know, I am healthy or I am well. Kind of thing is great now. Um, sort of a gratitude mon uh, meditation can be great. There's all sorts of things to do, but <laughs> but I'll go back to you know, it really is one size fits all. But that that makes me want to emphasize for people like if you try one and you're just like. Ugh, this is not working. Like, try a different one. <laughs> Don't give up. Is my point. <laughs> yes, I love it. And I and you know the examples that you gave, and I, I I can appreciate you know coming from a medical background. I mean, it, it depends is basically our answer to everything. So um, I can appreciate the fact that that is true for a lot of cases, and and that there is not one size fits all. And um, but the but the examples that you gave, I think, are very accessible and doable. It's not like this complicated, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, you don't have to do a Sanskrit, you know, mantra because that maybe scares people off. But I mean, I think anybody can access either a word that describes an emotion they want to feel or something in their past, some event or person, you know, that helped that made them feel a certain way. I think anybody can access that. So I think that those are super helpful. And yeah, of course, my yeah, and gratitude is always really great too. So, so I think that those are great, great examples for people to at least start opening the door of curiosity to and, and try. So let's kind of shift into the topic of manifestation. I know many people are finding themselves in a place of sort of needing or wanting a pivot right now, or maybe giving them, now they have the space to start manifesting something that they, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily have the space or time or feel like they did before. What is sort of your theory? on manifesting and how might someone sort of begin or begin to understand this practice and begin sort of actually practicing it and maybe they have the time to to spend on that now that's a really that's a really great question to come after what we just talked about so um the last few limbs of yoga are about meditation but they're also about manifestation and um they are called dharana dhyana and samadhi and Dharana, the first one, is actually, <laughs> I usually teach it as that exact meditation we were just talking about, about picking an emotional word and trying to get into that field of emotion. So the idea is that the whole world is vibration. And then if you can get into the vibration of what it is that you're wanting, then that thing is more likely to come into your life. And so if you feel like, you know, if I manifested this thing, this job, this object, whatever it is that you're wanting, how would you feel if you already had that? If you can get yourself to that place of feeling like you already have it, then it may come into your life. The other aspect of it is I often teach the meditation where we think about uh, a happy moment. Sometimes I teach that in a different way where we teach about or where we think about a future moment that we want to happen. So rather than a memory, uh, an imagining of a future moment, we think about all the details that would be there in that moment as well. But then a big part of it is letting go of those details and just kind of putting that out into the universe as this is what I want to happen. And then kind of just trusting the universe to put the things into place, not being passive, like you still need to take action and try to put yourself into places and situations in which those things might 
might happen. But I think one of the really important things to remember, and I think this is true for almost everyone I've ever talked to, is that if you think about those times in your life where, you know, you've met your partner or you ended up, in my case, moving to Hawaii or, <laughs> you know, some, some big moment where this great thing ended up manifesting in your life, those moments aren't often from, you know, yes, you worked hard and you put yourself in a position where, where it worked out, but they're not often because, you know, you just slaved away and you were there. There are these moments where the universe is like, oh, oh, here you go. And that things kind of just fall into place. And so that's a big part of manifestation too, is like setting the emotional field of where you want to be, getting into that feeling space, setting a clear uh, intention of what you want, a clear vision of what you want, but also just getting out of the way of the universe and being open to it happening. I think so often we close off and the universe is like, hey, you could do it this way. You could do it this way. And we're like, no, 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 no. That wasn't how I thought it was going to go. Mm -hmm. And we don't see those things, even though they're trying to manifest for us. So it really is about setting the emotional field, having a clear vision and being open to, to what comes our way, I believe. I so love all of that. And that's kind of, um, that's just like, so the space that I've been in um, lately, and I guess for the past couple of years, um, and it makes me want to ask you your sort of concept theory on the word surrender, because that's been um, really big for me. And I even started a mastermind called Surrender Gym, because I'm like, you know what, we work our, we work our bodies, I feel like we need to get into a group and really shift our are, you know, and be able to work out because I th really do think it, it is, it takes work. We're swimming upstream. This isn't the default. This isn't what society teaches us. It's not how we, most of us grew up. I mean, maybe some of us did have very spiritually aligned parents, but I mean, most of us grew up with a similar, you know, you, a similar thought pattern of how, what success looks like. And, and I do love that when you talk about you know, you're like thinking about a future moment and setting the emotional field, which is not the same as, you know, making a, a vision board with a Porsche on it. You know, like, I mean, I guess maybe if that Porsche makes you happy, but, you know, but it's, it's about the emotion and, um, and, and what is tied into a feeling versus the things, because I, I think that people feel like, you know, okay, well I did, you know, I did, project what I wanted and I wanted this house and I wanted this car. And then it's all of these things that are temporary and, uh, and don't hold on. And then once you get them, you want more versus, you know, achieving a state, a, a vibrational state, which is, does not leave you lacking or feeling like you need more. It is, it is sufficient in and of itself. So in any case, um, I, I love pointing that out and I, I love how you described all of that. And I'm just curious as to your take on the word surrender. Yeah, I think that is so important to think more about how you're wanting to feel in the future than specific things. You know, it's like being like, oh, I want a, a red Corvette. <laughs> the universe is like, you could have a blue one. And you're like, no, it needs to be red. <laughs> so you can't get so attached to those details and those things. You know, it's really about how you want to feel. But as far as surrender goes, oh, it is such a practice. And it is a part of yoga practice. In fact, uh, so we were talking about the first two limbs that come before the uh, physical poses and each of those t two limbs have five parts and one of the parts of the second limb is called Ishvara Pranidhana 
uh, a bunch of Sanskrit words that, that basically mean practice surrender. <laughs> so um, it is really, really important. And we have such a problem with that. You know, we want to, we want to figure out the details. We want to micromanage our lives. And, um, and that really closes us off to a lot of the magic that can happen um, when we're open to it. But it is something I think you just have to, to practice over and over again. You know, we, we want to, um, we want to grasp at things. We want to be attached to things, which is uh, actually part of the first limb of yoga. And when we're grasping and attaching it to things, it actually cuts us off from the actual enjoyment of that thing or even that person. You know, if, if we have a partner and we think, oh gosh, what if they leave me? And we're just thinking that all the time. We're not enjoying them, right? We're projecting into a future where we're going to be hurt. So there has to be that letting go and that surrender to um, to whatever you want to think of that you're surrendering to. I like to say source or the universe. You can say God. Uh, but you can also just say surrendering to being in the present moment. And if you're there in the present moment, then you're more open to what's actually happening in front of you rather than being closed off and, you know, feeling like you could only have the red Corvette. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That totally makes me think of that song. That's so funny. <laughs> um, but yes, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I, it's like, I don't, I don't even know, you know, it's like there was a shift in, in my focus from, you know, wanting to make everything happen and bang my head on all these closed doors. And then mm-hmm. the minute I got sort of like a glimpse of what surrendering felt like, I was like, Oh, I'm, I was immediately done with it. <laughs> it wasn't even like a transition for me. It was like, yeah. I can't even, stomach doing attempting to control anything in my life anymore so it's um it's just such a it's such a good feeling but it's such a difficult thing for us because we have decades of conditioning of trying to control everything down to the minutiae and details and to just let all that go feels like we're giving up but I see it as as giving over like you mentioned so In any case, um, all, all so, so good. As we wrap up, what I would love to do um, and kind of getting um, focused again on the current state of the world and the pandemic, I know you do you know, humanitarian work and you're really passionate about human rights. I'm kind of curious how you feel we can find peace through this sort of pandemic storm by focusing on fi- and finding ways to help others. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like, Again, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, right? But I would just encourage everyone to think about, you know, what can you do? Like if you're feeling like, oh, I don't even have a dollar to donate to one of the Feed the People organizations that I see online right now, that's okay. There's got to be something that you can do. You know, like my mom, she's been making masks for people, which is great. but there's always something that you can do. And even if that something is just keeping a list of your friends or even like your older relatives and calling one every day, or, you know, there can be these really tiny things that we can do um, on an individual basis, but just think of something that makes sense for you. It doesn't have to fit the mold of someone else, um, someone else's ideal. And just do that, you know, even if it's, and this may sound silly, even if you meditate every day and, and think about 
you know, helping to send goodwill and um, change the vibration of the world right now because we all need that, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. So there's so many different things that you can do. Um, I run a human rights organization that works specifically uh, with people behind bars. And so we're doing a lot right now because I think this um, this pandemic is really showing us that we're all connected. Even when we think we've put people, quote, away, there's no such thing as that. And, um, and we are all connected in what's happening to people behind bars is going to affect our communities and affect all of us. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of that work, trying to advocate for, for folks who are behind bars right now. But whatever it is that you can do um, in your own home or in your own community, just think of something. It doesn't have to be big and crazy and do whatever you can. I love pointing out that our individual practices, which might seem, um, I don't know, not selfish, but you know, you know, more yeah. self-absorbed than something outward. It really is outward because as we raise our vibrational energy, that affects others around us and the world at large. So I, I love that even if that's, and not even to say that if that's all, because that's huge. Yeah. It's so huge. Um, yeah. It's such a big thing. I think we it is very easy in a social media age to see people doing what appears to be, you know, large, ex, mm-hmm. you know, exaggerated um, things that we feel like we can't access either monetarily or, you know, just geographical location or whatever. Um, but even if meditation is what you focus on, that is so huge. Um, I can say for my own practice, and I mentioned coming from a very ignorant place. So I, I, you know, my goal is to encourage people who feel like they can't access it to know that they can. Um, I, I can tell you, I was about as far removed from meditation as they get. So I promise you, you can. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, yeah. Scientists at the Smithsonian doesn't usually equate with um, yoga, yoga meditation teacher. I, I just, I love that you have paired those two. I think it's so fabulous. And actually segueing right back into that, how can people find you? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that was a good segue back because it gets back to, you know, why I made the shift and that when we do meditate individually, you know, that's making a difference. And it might make you smile at someone or it might make you post something positive on Instagram when you get done meditating. And that might lift somebody else up. And so you never know, like, the ripple effect of your meditation, mm-hmm. even beyond just the actual vibration while you're meditating. So, but if you do want to find me, it's really, really easy. It's just jincarter.com. Uh, and then I'm on most social media as Yoga with Jin. So you can find me both those places. Wow. And I currently have some public, I don't usually teach public classes, like I said, I usually teach privately, but I have some public classes on Facebook and Instagram right now. So uh, you can find those on my uh, jincarter.com website. Links for those. Fantastic. And I'll link those to the show notes. Thank you so much, Jen. I really loved our conversation. I, I already knew at the beginning that this was going to have a good energy just from, just from getting on with you. And I, um, I just, I loved it. I love, I love your, your background, your mission, and, um, you know, some of these very tangible pieces of advice for people, um, at a time when they most need it. So thanks for coming on. Thank you, Claudia. It was wonderful. Thank you so much to Jen for sharing these insights of stress management, meditation, concepts of a yogic lifestyle. I think that we could all really sit in these learnings and start to apply them even in baby steps 
to our lives. And I love the concept of the shift in vibration that can happen from us individually paying attention to these practices. So I look forward to bringing you more episodes on minding your wellness. If you have enjoyed what you heard here or in any previous episodes, I would so appreciate a review on iTunes. I look forward to seeing you here again next time.